You're listening to the Pimp Cron Podcast. Hey everybody, it's episode 209 of the Pimp Cron Warhammer Podcast, and I would like to say that you are listening to us because GameMat.eu for pre-painted train, resin, uh, STL files, neoprene mats, all that. They support the show and keep help keep us on the air. And so does Panhandle3D.com for all of your 3D printing needs legitimately. They've got a ton of stuff, a ton of terrain. So uh, that is event10 at gamemat.eu to get 10% off your order. And it's podcast10 to get 10% off your order at three, uh, Panhandle3D.com. And... There is also a fantastic group of people that support this show called the Patreon Patrons. And we had a little four-year four year anniversary get-together last weekend, and it was a blast. We had a barbecue, it was a pool party, and uh, it, was, it was really great to see everybody. Mandy and Brendan uh, did actually get far too drunk, and they had to be driven home by Grendel. And Grendel actually ate all of the avocado dip and pissed off Mike, so that's... That is great. It can't do anything nice with you guys. LT stayed out in the sun too long and got horribly burned. You should have seen it. It was awful. And Shade, coincidentally, stayed in the shade. But he'd never eaten crabs before, and he was eating them like you'd eat an apple. He was biting right into the shell, and we were like, Shade, this is not a good idea. And he was doing it. So I assume Shade had some pretty painful poops afterwards. Leroy Jenkins busted out his guitar in spite of Grendel, because Grendel ate the rest of the avocado dip, and proceeded to sing Wonderwall for three hours. Fergie never showed up at all for the party, and afterwards I found out that he actually had the address wrong. He showed up to my neighbor's house, they were on vacation, and he hung out in their bathtub the whole time. Juicy Jim wore a Speedo and did the best impression of Ace Ventura we've ever seen. He had everybody in stitches. Meanwhile, Chris broke his wrist on the slip and slide. So that was kind of, that was the second trip Grendel had to make that night. Grendel drove him back over to the hospital. So Kojo, not wanting to be outdone, then broke his wrist on the slip and slide. And as soon as Grendel came back, he then had to drive Kojo to the hospital for a broken wrist. So it's always a wild time when the Patreon patrons get together. But thank you all for coming. Thank you for the podcast birthday wishes, I guess I'll call it. It's always good seeing you guys. So what are we talking about tonight after all that nonsense is over? Well, um, we are talking about how Wargaming has impacted me as a person, personally, in my personal life, personified. Per- personages. Partridge in a pear tree. So then we also have the cleansing aquifer, or whatever it's called, some sort of water-based terrain for Age of Sigmar, and it's apparently like a realm battle terrain. I don't know, man. You just gotta listen to that segment. And then we also have a letter from Kevin. So he tells us to check out a stupid list that he found online, dissing 40k, and we check it out and tell him what we think of it. I would also like to thank the various people who messaged me over the last week and wished me a happy four-year anniversary those people would be Kevin, the aforementioned Kevin from the Tesseract mailbox, and Glenn, and Derek, and Evan, and Mitchell, and Lee, and also Gigatron. 
Uh, his name was Deffen, but he, insist- he insisted on me saying that his name was Gigatron. So I don't know what that's about. Some sort of kink, I suppose? No idea. So thanks, Gigatron and crew. Uh, what have I been up to? Well, I've been um, painting my Hedonites of Slanesh. I got a bunch of stuff painted. Um, in the last week, I've painted five Hellstriders, which once again, they've got a ton of ter- uh, detail on them. So even though I'm using contrasts and washes and stuff, it's a long time painting those things. And uh, I painted three more Fiend Bloods, so got those done. Um, I probably am around 900 points maybe now. I'm, I'm getting closer. I think I was at 700, and uh, I'm getting closer to that. So, But the, the army is beautiful. I've got the metallic blue armor and the pink and the gold. It's just a, it's a beautiful... It's definitely my top five color schemes of any of my armies. It's, it's just beautiful. I played our second-to-last campaign game in the Brutality campaign with my children. That's our third full max-level campaign we played in the last couple of years. And um, we hadn't played in several months, and I completely underestimated how powerful they are. I forgot that almost all of them are max-level. So I played um, three monsters attacking them, and they just beat the crap out of those monsters. So I said, okay, kids, that's fine. Next time, Dad's making a list, and I'm actually going to try to beat you for the finale. So, last time we did that, my wife bought pizza and, and stuff like that. We made a big deal about it, so we'll do that again. I'm excited for it. And uh, then the kids will make all new characters, and we'll start all over again. Because by the time that you're max level, you're kind of sick of your character. This week at the club, I played Brutal Mech with um, Connor, and um, we play-tested airplanes, like airplane rules, and we play-tested ships, like naval ships and we also play tested transports of carrying little infantry and all of that worked pretty darn well actually the airplanes i'm still not entirely sure what i'm going to do with them but that rule set is not out for uh probably till 2023 maybe even early 2024 depends on how my other supplements are going i still have brutal space before that and i still have the career supplement for uh regular brutality and I still got to finish my uh, short story compilation because I've been so darn busy with work. Um, I mean, it's all finished, as I've told you before. I mean, it's all done, and it's been through like three different revisions, but I'm doing just the final revision for all the stories. And I just I just want it to be as close to perfect as possible before people spend money on it. That's basically me. So let's get on with the rest of the show. Let's open the Tesseract mailbox. Well, 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 here you come crawling back to the Tesseract mailbox. This week we have a messenger message. Does that make any sense? A message in Facebook Messenger, I should say. And it comes from our friend Kevin. Let's see what he has to say. Hey there, Mr. Cron. My name is Kevin, and I've been listening for a while. We put your show on at work when there's nothing to do as me and two other players play 40k. Actually, he said me and two others play 40k. I can't read. We work in a warehouse and it is feast or famine for things to do. Anyway, I saw this article the other day about 10 stupid things about 40k and I thought you might have some things to say about it. You seem like the opinionated type. Wink. Happy four years on the podcast. I don't know how you do it, but I'm glad you do. Here's at least to another six months of shows. <laughs> Bye, Kevin, as stated earlier. So thank you for writing, Kevin. And uh, he sent me this link to uh, 
This is from 2021, I believe, and uh, it's from thegamer.com. Ten things that make no sense in Warhammer 40k. Let's see what they have to say. But first, thank you for the anniversary wishes. I almost said birthday wishes. Anniversary wishes for the podcast. Thank you for listening. And yes, I hope at least to have another six months of shows too. So thanks for that, Kevin. Uh, <laughs> uh, what else did you say here? Um, oh, I guess that was it. I thought you said something else that I had to respond to. Oh, you said you don't know how I do it. I, I don't know. I don't know how I do it either, bro. All right, let's get on with the number 10 is Slanesh. Basically, they're saying that um, Slanesh is one of the four chaos gods, blah, 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 god of desire, lust, blah, blah, blah. But it's bizarre, however, or what is bizarre, however, is how Slanesh came to be. This god was birthed from the pleasures and de- desires of the Eldari race from the earliest parts of 40k lore. Their constant focus on pleasure and loving life birthed the devious god, contributing to the Eldar's near extinction. Okay, I mean, I don't, I don't really see how that's odd, right? I mean, you could pick out. I think it's odd that Jedi can, you know, force manipulate things. That's odd. Well, sure, but it's a fictional setting, so to me, this one seems like a serious nitpick. And actually, I kind of like the idea of being able to um, birth new gods with new themes over time as people go excessive with things. You know, obviously violence has been around for a long time. That's why corn was probably birthed many, 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 many years ago. Plague and famine, Nurgle, change, you know, all of those things have been around for a long time. So uh, that actually leaves the door open for me. I'm thinking it leaves the door open for another chaos god to eventually arrive, which would be pretty cool, right? Number nine is warp travel. And basically, they're saying that uh, most science fiction universes depict space travel as a way to slingshot the ship through space through the use of hyperdrive or warp drive or something else, but not in 40K. In this universe, ships go through warp storms that connect the different solar systems together in a cohesive universe. There's a catch with the warp, however. Chaos gods can influence these storms, meaning your ship could be possessed by demons, make your crew go completely insane, rip the ship into multiple pieces, or send you so far back in time that you practically cease to exist. Space travel is equally absurd and dangerous in 40k. Once again, I don't know how this doesn't make any sense. I mean, it's a fictional setting. This this all seems very petty, okay? And matter of fact, I would actually... I'm no huge Warhammer lore person, right? But I would actually argue that warp travel in 40k is actually far more interesting than, um, like, hyperdrive or whatever it's called in Star Wars or warp drive in Star Trek or any of that stuff. So even Stargates, you know, all of that is kind of tame compared to warp travel. So actually, once again, I disagree with these people because I think warp travel in 40K is actually pretty cool. Number eight is the Emperor not foreseen Horus's betrayal. Now, I can kind of see this one having a little more credence, okay? The Emperor not foreseeing Horus' betrayal. He was a psyker, and basically that's what they're saying. He was super, super adept and intelligent, the most intelligent and physically capable human being that ever lived, blah, blah, blah. And that um, how did, you know, his forces fall? If he knew about chaos all along, then why didn't he do something to protect his people more than just not tell them about it or whatever he did? Now, this might be a little bit out of my element because I've never read the Horus Heresy books or anything like that. But yeah, I could definitely see where that's kind of a weak point in the story for sure. 
but I don't have a whole lot to say about it. I mean, people that have read uh, Horus Heresy probably know more than I do. Number seven, melee weapons. And basically, they're just saying that uh, while ranged weaponry sounds like the rational weapon of choice, melee weapons are equally used in the universe simply because it looks cool. Yeah, it is because it does. <laughs> I mean, everyone knows that this is a game and rule of cool definitely is a thing, right? And who would want to play... I'm not looking at you, Tal players. Uh, who would want to play... I'm not looking at you, guard players. Who would want to play Warhammer without any melee whatsoever? That would be pretty lame, right? Chain swords are cool. Chain axes are cool. All of that's just cool, and it's a freaking game. Once again, seems like they're being pretty petty about it. Um, and my first inclination would be to say, oh, well, they would just nuke everything from orbit, right? They would be range. Like, nowadays. Of course, there do end up being fistfights or whatever in modern-day warfare, like with urban uh, operations and things like that. But a lot of it can be circumvented with drones and airstrikes and all of that, and they do do that. So you do feel like there'd be way less melee combat in 40k, but you could only assume that the reason why they're doing melee is they can't just nuke the whole planet because they want the stuff on it. And obviously, maybe the enemy, like cast Space Marines or whatever, are more like insurgents, and they can't really find them. They're mixed among the population or whatever. So someone's going to go down, right? Uh, number six is orcs, um, and they say that uh, these buff humanoids love to kill everything they see, including each other, if nothing else is around. That alone makes them rather bizarre. Okay, I can see orcs being bizarre. Weirder yet, orcs reproduce by spreading spores, blah, 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 blah. Okay, they're spores, right? Even better, all orcs possess psychic powers, allowing them to make anything they believe in a reality. Think painting a car red makes it go faster? If orcs believe it... Once again, if they really do have latent psychic powers, but they're too stupid to realize it, then that actually does make sense. I'm not seeing any reason why this is so dumb, or it doesn't make any sense. I don't know. Once again, nitpicky. Number five, the Adeptus Mechanicus, right? And they're responsible for the vehicles Imperium uses, and they create the vehicles and forges, right? And um, uh, they believe in a machine god that's responsible for their machines working. All the engineers for the Mechanicus are heavily augmented with cybernetics machinery to please the machine spirits. Since ancient blueprints of vehicles are missing through since horse heresy, they believe in the machine spirit to make their vehicles function after creation. Um... I think anybody could see that the Adeptus Mechanicus is a little odd in that, being that pretty much everyone else worships the Emperor, and they are so sidelined with machine spirits and the, the machine spirit god and all of that. I definitely do see where that's a little odd, but, I mean, isn't that kind of interesting, too? Isn't it interesting where one of the bosom buddies of the Imperium, which would be the Adeptus Me Mechanicus, they may still worship the Emperor, but they really worship a machine god? Actually... That's kind of cool, in my opinion. And I'm no lore person, but that's actually pretty cool. And it's interesting. You can't just make all the people in one faction believe the same thing. There's no friction there. There's no... It's just not interesting. So, once again, I think uh, thegamer.com is way off base. 
Number four, the Codex Astartes. Um, it's basically the Space Marine Bible, they say, and um, genocide against alien species is perfectly okay, but using the jump packs off a vehicle is not acceptable. The things this book lays out are bizarre in what they focus on. Every alien that you come across must die, and the extermination of potentially chaos-corrupted citizens is alright, so long as it prevents a further invasion from occurring. I mean... I always did think it was a little odd that they're not supposed to be using, like, alien tech or things like that. I mean, I guess because they don't want to be tainted with the filth that they see the aliens being. So, and there are demon-possessed weapons and things. I see this number four, Codex Astartes, I see this as also kind of another weak point where they slightly do have a point. Um, you know, where they're not allowed to use alien tech or anything like that. But... Uh, I mean, they're like this crazy fascist re regime, right? The whole Imperium is. And they're xenophobic and all that. So I would not be surprised if there was some real-world group of people that would not use the weapon from some other faction because they thought it was, I don't know, poor quality or it was beneath them somehow or they didn't want to be stooping as low as that other faction. I'm, I'm sure that's happened, right? Um... But it has some merit. Number three, population density. And basically, uh, literal, literal trillions of humans or aliens can inhabit a planet at once. Perhaps during more during conflict, the Imperium is so large that there's no definite number of how many people live in its regions. It doesn't make sense how planets the size of Earth can support hundreds of billions of people in 40k, at least when compared to reality. Yeah, I could see that. I mean, of course, you have the hive worlds and things like that, where it's essentially an entire planet that's just one big city built on top of itself. But I think they, uh, I think it boils down to like, I don't know, technology or super efficient, you know, food distribution or something like that. But I do, I do get that. I mean, just think a couple hundred billion people pooping every day. Where does all that poop go? <laughs> anyway, number two, heroes don't wear helmets. Okay. You got me here. You got me here. Yes. Sergeants not wearing helmets. Captain's not wearing helmets. Once again, it's rule of cool, people. I mean, I get what you're saying, and it doesn't make any sense. That is one thing. This is number two on the list, and it actually does not make sense to have the sergeant with no helmet. But once again, eh. I mean, Star Trek doesn't wear any body armor, for crying out loud. And yes, that's very unrealistic and very ill-informed of them. But, I mean, there's certain you know constraints with budget and whatnot, so... Yes, I, I will give them this one specifically, that heroes not wearing helmets is dumb. And then number one, they claim the entire universe doesn't make any sense. Oh, okay. Um, basically, they're saying um, the whole universe is ludicrous, blah, blah, blah. Genetically augmented superhumans serving a corpse god and battling psychic aliens with space-age chainsaws is pretty out there to say the least. The mere premise of Warhammer 40k can be an eternal war in the grimdark future against over a dozen factions is crazy in itself. There's no peace. There's only war. That is a lame... So you really finish... You finish your top 10 list of how Warhammer 40k doesn't make any sense and you just say, It's really wacky. <laughs> like, okay, Star Wars has Wookiees and uh, Ewoks and, you know, Tusken Raiders. Uh, okay. They've got literal space wizards. Star Wars has space wizards. And Star Trek has space elves. So, I mean, all that's goofy, right? 
I don't know. This 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 has ended up lame. This ended up lame. Not wearing the helmets, I get. Not using alien tech, I get. And the Emperor not foreseeing Horus, I get. I get all that. But I think they're really nitpicking here. Anyway, thank you, Kevin, for uh, bringing this to my attention. And uh, those are my opinions. You wanted them, you got them, my friend. And here's to six months more episodes. Want that or want that not? This is Want That or Want That Not, and this is the part of the show where we either take the piss, as the British like to say, on <laughs> on a product, <laughs> or we uh, talk it up. So, what do we got today? Realmscape Cleansing Aqualith. Do any of those words mean anything to you? They don't to me. So, basically what it is, it's a ruined staircase that goes up to a hovering chunk of rock that is basically like a well, I guess, or a shrine. And that shrine is chained to the ground and chained to the stairwells. And it has three different um, waterfalls coming off of it, basically. Um, I've always really liked when people do this sort of thing, like things pieces of terrain are floating or they're whatever. I actually do like this terrain. I really do like it. It's got uh, pillars around the top, around what's essentially like the well, and it's got like a little, I don't know, astronomy. One of those things like it's on the Celestial Hurricanum. It's like a circle within a circle, gyroscope sort of thing. And um, I like the idea of this being floating and they had to chain it down. I like that idea. I also really like the idea of being held up by chains and waterfalls. I've always liked that Lumineth Realm Lords train piece that is very similar to this. As a matter of fact, when I first saw this, I was like, oh, this is more, more Lumineth, Lumineth Realm Lord stuff. But no, it's a Realmscape cleansing Aqualith, asshole. So, um, I, there's really nothing else to say about this. I do like it. Is it $75 worth of, like, mm, uh, I don't know. That's hard to say. I definitely could see getting two of these and, um, you know, putting them on a board and making them look cool. I do like these terrain pieces. Maybe get one of these and then also get one for the Illumineth Realm Lords, whether or not you play them or not. And you could have like a floating city sort of thing. It would actually be pretty cool if you did this for a whole board and just had a bunch of floating stuff. That would be pretty cool. Matter of fact, that would be a really cool thing for Shorehammer if I could ever um, pull it off. You know, add the verticality, add it on a narrative board. Um, so $75 is actually pushing it for me. I do like this a lot. If it was 65 I would say it was pretty much an auto buy 75 is on my upper limits i think yes but the thought of buying two of them for 150 bucks is kind of um but overall i would say yes i want that and this is probably a very short want that or want that not at just three minutes but it's really not much to say about floating rock with chains and waterfalls you know anyway that is a want that for me now it's time for real talk with pimp cron 
Well, this is Real Talk with a Pimpcron, and tonight we are discussing how Warhammer has changed my life. And I mean on a personal level. The things that I've learned, the things that I've done, all the different things how Wargame, Wargaming and Warhammer has affected me. First off, I'll say the same thing I've said a million times. I started out with making games ever since I was a child. I pretty much never played a board game by the actual rules, because I would look at the rules... I'd think that they're too complicated and too pedantic, more than they needed to be. Not that I couldn't comprehend them, but I found them to be tedious and boring. So I would, even as a child, like, I never played Monopoly by the real rules, and we still had fun. I never played, I mean, I made custom rules for chess and checkers and all of that. We always made up our own card games, like playing cards and um, things like that. I mean, we would we would always be making up our own rules for things. I'm trying to think of what else we... I had the Advanced D&D Dragon Strike board game, I think it was. And, of course, it came with a ton of D&D rules. It was similar to uh, Hero... No, Hero Quest. It was similar to Hero Quest. And um, it came with a VHS tape, and it had some really cringy live-action video on it and stuff like that. I've lost the VHS tape, but I do have some of the relics from that game left over. And um, anyway, we would always just make up our own rules. Like that's all we would do because we didn't want to be bothered with all the real rules. So it's funny because I had a background of board games and I never really thought of a war game. Matter of fact, I didn't know war games existed as a child. It wasn't until my very early 20s that I even discovered what Warhammer was. But I did run across um, Combat Storm, I believe it was, and it was an army man uh, tactical game. And you use green and tan army men. And of course, I did not bother buying their <laughs> their rules, I just made up my own. And actually, it was a really good game. Like, there was rules for um, the bazooka guy and the grenadier and the machine gun guy and the spotter. And I think the spotter was my medic. But the point is, it was actually really cool. I, I did a bunch of... Um, Papercraft terrain and all of that. And when I started looking at that, I was like, oh, wow, you can actually play games with miniatures. And I didn't even know the word Wargame. And uh, eventually I stumbled upon Space Marines and I saw Warhammer on a website. And I was like, dude, these are pretty cool. I had no idea that they were not pre-assembled and they were not pre-painted. And I get looking at them and I'm like, what? $25 for 10 Tactical Marines? That is absolutely ridiculous. There's no way. Screw this game, right? And I still just thought it was kind of a model kit. I wasn't entirely sure that it was actually a game. And now $25 for 10 models is pretty laughable, but we're talking over a decade ago. And um, I said, screw that noise. So I ended up making my own green army man uh, game. So that was my first war game I ever made. And it's funny because I was in such a mindset of board games and board games, you are you only have what you're given, right? Of course, there's deck building games and ways that you can change the forces that you have. But if you're playing Risk, you all start out with the same stuff. Playing Checkers, Chess, uh, Monopoly, uh, Life, any of those things, you start out with the same starting thing. Whereas like Wargaming, you can change, oh, if I want two Grenadiers instead of two Machine Gunners or whatever, you could do whatever you wanted. So that... Green Army Men game really uh, opened my eyes to the opportunity of, oh my gosh, that's that's really cool. I can change a list, make them worth points. I can change a list. That's really neat. 
So um, I remember downloading the free rules for that game, but I was still stuck in that board game mentality of here's your three or four options and deal with it. I had no concept of different chapters, different races, different units, and you just need to add up to the correct number of points. So it wasn't until I discovered Warhammer that it opened my eyes to, oh my gosh, you know what? I've been thinking about this all wrong because board games are so limiting in what they allow you to do. Now they've given me creative license to do what I want and make a list of, let's say, all Terminators. Of course, that wasn't allowed in 5th edition, but you get what I'm saying. Um, they had a force organizational chart. and um, But you could start doing things. You could start skewing your lists one way or the other to fit your theme or whatever you want to do. And that was really, really cool. So Wargaming number one, and I hate to even admit this because I've always made board games and card games and all the RPGs. Oh my gosh, I ran self-made RPGs for years and years and years, not using D&D or whatever, just making my own systems. And uh, once again, I thought D&D was way too cumbersome and not worth all the hassle. But Warhammer, when I finally did get into it, I hate to admit this, but it actually gave me the creative license to play the game kind of how I wanted to, with the units that I wanted to, and you make a backstory for your faction, you know, like, oh, we're Celestial Lions, we're Ultramarines, we're whatever, and you could be an offshoot Howling Griffins or whatever you wanted to be. And that is very unique to Wargaming, because even historical Wargaming, typically, unless you're doing a weird history, you're typically told, oh, I'm, you know, one side, I'm the Union, and I'm you're the Confederacy, you're told how to play. But in this, this, you know, fantasy or sci-fi genre, there's like over a dozen, a dozen factions you can pick from. And that was like, oh my gosh, that was eye-opening. And it just never occurred to me, I was still young at that point, it never occurred to me that um, I could make a game fit me versus me adapting to a game, which is what board games are by and large. So that's one thing that it really did is it started to spark my imagination in the fact that, okay, here's the backstory for my Necrons and here's the blah, 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 and make it more personal. And that is the beauty of war games. It made my games more personal and my models were no longer tokens on a board game board. They were actual like little characters and I painted them and I assembled them and they meant so much more to me. Did I ever paint those Advanced Dungeons and Dragons board, the Fire Strike? I already said it earlier, Firestrike? I forgot now. But anyway, that board, no, I never painted those. I know people do paint those, but I was like, I'm not I'm not bothering with that crap. Um, so, you know, my, my heroes were all, I think, blue. They were just blue plastic, whether you were the wizard or the warrior or whatever, and all my enemies were red, and that's just the way it was. I didn't paint them or anything like that. So making things your own and giving you that creative license is one of the biggest impacts that Warhammer's had on me as a gamer and a player to the point where I don't even want to play board games anymore because I want my pieces to mean something to me personally and I want to forge a narrative by myself. You give me some Monopoly money and I'm like, honestly, why are we playing? I didn't invest in this game, right? I didn't um, paint the pieces. I didn't, I have no, when I walk away from this board game, it doesn't matter at all whether I won or I lost. And you could say the same thing for Warhammer, but there's campaigns, there's things like that. And also you get like a running track record in your head of how often you win or lose. 
No one's going to be like that for Monopoly. It's just not going to happen. So the creative license and the spark of creativity to do your own thing is basically what Wargaming had given me at that time. Speaking of that, painting your models, dude, I had I had repainted some Heroclix and I did a real half-assed job and I used paints that were way too thick and I mean honestly some people are still really bad at painting models and my models I was always somewhat artistic my models aren't terrible but they were using like apple paints or whatever and even though I had okay results with them it's way worse than what I can do now, and way worse than the majority of you can do. Now, it's probably better than still some of you, unfortunately, but um, having those thick old paints did not help, and all the paints were glossy, so all your models are real shiny, even though you don't want them to be. The whole thing, it was it was not good, but I, so I had painted some models before Warhammer, but being in the hobby around all these other people and seeing their models and seeing how much effort they put into them, and just looking at example of painted models, and you go, Oh my gosh, a person painted this with their hands? Like, that was also eye-opening. So that did uh, kind of spur me to try my hand at painting and paint more and more and more and learn skills. And I think I'm a moderate painter now. I'm, I certainly don't take the time or effort, um, and I may not even have the skill to be like a, a legit painter. You know, some of those people, they, they do the painting competitions and they, they mix their different colors and they wet palette and they layer. Um, I do not have the patience for that. So my stuff looks fine, but I would never have developed that skill if it were not for wargaming. And going back to board games, I was always pretty competitive with board games. And that was, I don't know how much of this was actually Warhammer and how much of this was just my own personal maturity, but in my early 20s, you know, I wasn't as competitive as I was when I was a kid because I wanted to win. And I assume when I was a very small child, I'd get mad if I lost. I think most little kids are like that. I don't actually recall that, but I could I could probably guess that's the case. But as a teenager, you know, I might be kind of disappointed if I lost, but I wouldn't get angry, certainly, right, if you lose a, uh, a board game. But Warhammer did actually kind of increase my competitiveness and my want to win, right? I didn't start out with the narrative stuff. I started out with, oh, I want to beat this person. And that's what I tried to do. And it gave me a lot of anxiety. And, you know, you're, you're trying, you feel like everything's on the line. And, of course, I would get mad if I was rolling bad. And, and, and of course, nobody likes it when you're rolling bad, right? If you're just rolling straight crap, you're not enjoying it, but I would actually get angry, not at my opponent, but I would get in a bad mood and all that when I first started Warhammer. And then making friends, hanging out with people, and the more and more I played, I realized, you know, this really isn't life or death. And honestly, it gives me anxiety. I've got enough problems to worry about in real life. I really don't need the anxiety of trying to win. Naturally, everybody's trying to win to some degree, but I don't have to like I don't have to win this game. What if me and my buddy just have fun and, oh, hopefully I hope for a close game. And then if it's close, neither one of us feel bad when you lose because, oh, it was a close game. There's nothing worse than just getting slaughtered turn one and then you just get stomped the rest of the game, you know? So that really did help me. At first, it incited my competitiveness and my anger. But then after, I don't know if it was a couple weeks, a couple months, 
I kind of got over that and it kind of burned out of me. And then ever since then, I've been, you know what? I just kind of want to hang out with my friends. And if we happen to be rolling dice and play Warhammer, hey, that's even better. So that actually, whether it was maturity, because I was still a young man, whether it was maturing or it was induced by Warhammer is really hard to say, but it did certainly play some sort of part. Maybe it brought it to the surface or something like that. So it gave me the license for creativity in my head, right? It taught me how to paint and it taught me how to take things way less seriously. But you know, the other main benefit of Warhammer, and I've, I've said this a million times, so this is not going to be any surprise, but is the friends that I've made. And at the time, and I've also said this, if you're a longtime listener, you've heard the story before, but at the time I had still my high school group of friends and I had like six people. They'd come over every single weekend, even once I was married and once I had my first child, They'd come over every single weekend. We'd like watch Family Guy or we'd play board games or we'd play um, my own version of D&D or role playing or, or we'd play sports outside. We played a lot of sports. Uh, we even had a, a group called the Gamers Underground is what we called it. And I kept all the stats for all the players, like who ranked in every single game. I used to keep Excel sheets. I'm going on a tangent here, but you I've never mentioned that to you guys before. Um, I actually had like every year we would have like a year's champion, whether it be dodgeball, kickball, um, football, uh, mini golf, bowling, no matter what it was that we did, I kept all the scores and everybody got stats like, like uh, pro players. It was really cool. Um, but at the time, you know, I was hanging out with my younger brother. He was part of the group. My wife was part of my group. And then all my high school friends were part of my group and it sounds bad, but there is a part of me that was like, you know what? I want to be, you know, there's a certain amount of yourself. There's a certain amount of yourself, even if it's a tiny bit, that is censored by being around your wife, right? And your friends. And there's a certain amount, even if it's a tiny bit, that's censored around being with your younger sibling, right? Because they look up to you and he's he's five years younger than me. So when I was 20, he was 15. So... Yeah, you got. You do have to tone yourself down. And there's a part of me that was like, you know, I want to go somewhere where I can just be myself 100% and not tone it down. Like I said, I'm really pretty much me around my wife and pretty much me around my brother. But you always, you always sense yourself just a tiny bit, at least, you know, when you're around your parents or a family member or whatever. Um, and maybe it's not even the censoring. Maybe it was just that I didn't want to play a role, brother, husband, what I, I just wanted to be me. So I, that's when I joined Warhammer and it was not because I love the game. I'd never even played the game, but I saw a club and I'm like, oh, well, these are nerds. I'll probably get along with them. And I joined and the rest is history. So fast forward a couple years and my one friend moved across the country. My other friend moved to Japan um, my other friend does not hang out with us anymore. My other friend does not hang out with us anymore. <laughs> and my brother is married and busy with other things. And my wife hates me. So no, my wife doesn't hate me, but everybody else has kind of like split up and, and just gone and done their own thing, which of course is life. But luckily for me, I had made this group of friends at the same time I had that other group of friends and voila, I have a group of friends still to this day, and many of them I originally met when I first started, and I'm still friends with them to this day. And that's pretty cool. 
So as an adult, I don't know. I mean, I would have Mick Storman and I'd have Just James. That would probably be my entire group of friends if I did not have Warhammer. Now, I probably would have gotten lonely and joined some other club, whether it be like, uh, I don't know, you know, baseball or something, flag football or, or some sort of group I would have joined eventually. Um, or maybe found a D&D group to join or whatever. But when I think back at how much Warhammer's changed my life, all the adventures I've gone on, all the places I've gone to, all the people I've met, it's been very, very cool. And like I going back to the paint, uh, painting miniatures, you know, I've improved in my artistic skill painting miniatures. I'm sure you all have over time. Now you may not be, you know, I would say Picasso, but he wasn't really a great painter, but you're, you're not going to be Monet necessarily. Right. But you definitely do improve and your success should not be gauged against everyone else's success. It should be gauged against where you started because progress is success. Right. So that is how Wargaming has impacted my life. Oh, besides the crippling debt I'm in because of Wargaming. I am not looking forward to the discussion I'm going to have with my wife and kids when it comes time for them to go to college. Not looking forward to it. So, Dad, where's my trust fund? <laughs> well, um, you know what? College is overrated, son. Anyway, thank you for listening to my show, and thank you to GameMat.eu for supporting the show all these years, and our new buddy, Panhandle3D.com, for supporting the show. And that group of rascals that we call the Patreon patrons, thank you for supporting the show. So many people supporting us, that's, that's fantastic. And here's to six more months of shows. <laughs>